When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The art of charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. Welcome to The Art of Charm, I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and exceptional individuals to teach you how to be a top performer in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of mentors teaching you their expertise and packing their research, testing, and tough lessons into a curriculum. We may not have all the answers, but we definitely have all the questions. Make sure to stay up to date with The Art of Charm and get some great stuff that we don't or can't share on the show by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. That's where we'll email you our fundamentals toolkit that covers topics like body language, nonverbal communication, dating, attraction, persuasion, business networking, public speaking, negotiation, and a whole lot more. And we've got our live programs running every single week here in Los Angeles, California. In fact, we've got guys from all over the world, which shows that no matter where you are, you can make it here if you're committed to your own learning and growing. We're sold out a few months in advance, so if you're thinking about it a little bit, get in touch ASAP by phone or email me, jordan at theartofcharm.com. Get some info from us now so you can plan ahead. Looking forward to meeting you here at The Art of Charm. Today we're talking with Bobby Umar. We're going to talk about how people decide what to do with themselves or what they want to do with their lives, and I'm going to throw a listener question at him first right off the bat, something we really never do on the show, but I thought he'd be a good person to handle that one. And of course, talking about why our path of success is often defined by other people and how to get authentically punched in the forehead by yours truly. So enjoy this one with Bobby Umar. So tell us what you do in one sentence. Sure. I'm a professional speaker, a social media influencer, and a connection curator who helps lost leaders forge an authentic path of passion and purpose and turn them into branded thought leaders. Okay. So how does that affect the every man and the every woman listening here? Because I think a lot of folks go, okay, I heard a lot of cool buzzwords, and what do you do again? Well, I think for the most part, uh, it's about helping people forge the right leadership path that makes sense for them and also taking them to the next level. So, you know, most people that I meet feel lost uh, in their path, whether it's a career or whether it's a, a business. And so they need to find the right direction, the right focus, but also to create more impact. And then the other thing I'll do is help them, current leaders, to actually take their leadership to a higher level in a more effective way and really ramp up their thought leadership, which makes them more influential, makes has them, gives them greater impact and allows them to really be, I guess, kick ass at whatever they're doing in their lives, whether it's, again, in a corporate role or whether it's an entrepreneurial role. And you've got some street cred. I mean, you're one of Inc. Magazine's top 100 leadership speakers, and God knows there are a crap ton of leadership speakers. So 100 is a short list. 
and you've spoken at TEDx four times. You've written a bunch of pieces on this. And furthermore, which I thought was really funny, your bio says that you're one of the top tweeters in the world. So I have to make fun of you a little bit for being a top tweeter. Sure. You know, uh, I use it because for the most part, it's one of the biggest aspects of my thought leadership. So I'm happy to promote it. What does that really mean, though? Because when I think of Twitter, and I'm not trying to knock you here, when I think of Twitter, I'm kind of like, how many people are reading my tweets? Like, I might have 100, and I think I've got 153,000 followers or something. How many of those people are robots? How many or how many of those people are reading this? I mean, it, it appears to be quite a few, but it's certainly not 153,000, you know? And I know other folks that have, like, 1,500 followers, but they get 48 retweets every time they say, mmm, coffee. So it, engagement <laughs> is kind of what matters, right? And not necessarily the numbers sometimes. Yeah, I think that one of the things that's important to realize is that it has to be organic. I mean, there's different softwares you can use to figure that out, but for mine, the last time I checked, it was 94%. So 94% real and organic Twitter followers. And I think one of the things that's important is, yeah, the whole engagement piece, you know, what do people expect from you? I think a lot of people get misled by the idea that the followers aren't all on Twitter at the exact same time. So, you know, when you tweet something, they're not all there right at that very moment. They may come on later and they may not actually even see your tweet. Uh, but the idea is behind it that it's a way to build thought leadership. And I think for the most part, all of us have kind of one area where we have the most influence. Some people dominate on YouTube. Some people dominate on Facebook. For me, where I dominate and get the most traction and the most activity and the most engagement and the most opportunity is through Twitter. You know, it's funny you should mention that because engagement and and having people on at the same time is the one thing that's kind of like one flaw that I really saw in in that platform. And uh, so I only follow 10 people on Twitter. Well, it looks like I follow 12 now because of what people have recommended or something. Sure. Uh, one of which is Obama, which, you know, <laughs> might get unfollowed. He's, I don't know, he, he doesn't tweet that often. He might not make the cut. And I follow Jason because if I don't, he's going to get really upset and probably quit working with me. But I just followed Edward Snowden. Okay. He is hilarious. I've, almost all of his tweets are funny. Absolutely. There's some amazing guys. There's amazing people out there that, you know, tweet some really incredible stuff and some of the, the funniest stuff and people you wouldn't even expect. Like, you know, Albert Brooks. I mean, he's like a comedian in the 70s, but his stuff is gold. For those of you who don't know who Edward Snowden is, he's an NSA agent or former CIA agent that basically lives in Russia now because he's in exile. And it's not exactly the type of guy you'd expect to be hilarious on Twitter because he's a fugitive and can never come home and is being hunted by the central intelligence agency. You know, you think he would be like kind of an uptight dude, but a lot of what he's writing is, is really funny. He's like, meanwhile, one of his first tweets, meanwhile, a thousand people at Fort Meade just opened and installed Twitter because obviously they're following him on here. It's just really, he's just a really interesting character. And that's the type of access that you only get through that platform. And the reason that I bring this up is not just to, talk about who I follow on Twitter, but to, to talk about the idea that it, back in, in the 90s or even probably the early 2000s, people thought, I'm making a website, so I'm on the internet, and people will find it, and I'm going to get rich because now I'm on the internet. And it's never about where you're necessarily reachable, but only about who actually cares about reaching you. And that sort of changed over the last 20 years, right? Because before it was, I've got a toll-free number. Oh my gosh, people don't have to pay to call me? I'm going to call right now because it's toll-free. And now it, none of that matters. Everybody's infinitely reachable. Every a-hole's got a podcast. I'm raising my hand right now. Everybody's on Twitter. Everybody's got a website. Everybody's on Facebook. Everybody's got a Tumblr or blog or whatever the latest thing is, Snapchat. 
But no one cares anymore because now it's only about who's reaching out to you. And that sort of changed the way that influence works. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. And I think for the most part, the people who are influential are the ones who are creating content. I mean, they have to create content that resonates as opposed to just, you know, putting up crap out there. I mean, you mentioned breakfast, but you can't, you can't just say every day, oh, I ate a banana for breakfast. I mean, for the most part, that's not going to work. You have to create. It used to work though. That used to totally be awesome. You could totally do that and it would be fine. And I'll be, I'll be honest. I met my girlfriend cause she posted a picture of a latte on Twitter. You know, that's kind of weird, not the usual way that people meet, but I wouldn't say that that's a good strategy for meeting uh, somebody who you're going to eventually settle down with, generally. Mm-hmm. And there's a guy on YouTube who actually just uh, has a subscription channel where he just drinks water every day. He drinks a big jug of water every day, and he has like, you know, 4,000 people subscribe to him. It's crazy what people will follow. Yeah, I mean, for me, that is kind of proof that it's all coming to an end. Uh, but <laughs> tell us or a, maybe it's a beginning. Yes, maybe. Well, I mean, there are millionaires that play video games and film it while talking, right? So it's the end um, of the beginning. It's the end of the, yeah. Tell us about lost leaders. Well, for the most part, you know, everywhere I go, I meet people who feel lost. So I meet people who feel lost. They're in school and about to graduate. Oh my gosh, what do I do with my life? Or people have been working for maybe two to five years in their first first or second job. And they're like, you know what? I'm not sure that's what I want to do. I did this because you know my dad told me to go into engineering or my mom said I should be a teacher and I really don't like it. I feel lost. Or I meet people who are working 20 years and they're like senior directors or vice presidents. And they're like, you know what? I've been working for 20 years. I've got a fantastic huge house and two fantastic cars, a wife and kids, and I'm miserable in my job. I feel lost. And so the whole idea is to understand that it's okay to feel lost because I think everybody does at some point in their life or in some aspect of their life. I mean, for me personally, one area where I tend to feel lost is in my physical fitness. You know, I'm not the most fit guy in the world, so I'm trying to get better in terms of health standpoint. So we all feel lost sometimes. And my message to people is that it's okay to feel lost, but it's not okay to do anything about it. So you have to do something about it. So what are you going to do about it? And so that's in terms of what I do. I help people with the mindset, the clarity, the focus, the accountability, and the tactics and the path to get there, whatever it is they want to do. Interesting. And so, which is obviously really important because basically we get the question all the time, what do I do with myself? I'm working in a job and I don't like it. Is that the type of thing that you tackle? Yeah, yeah. I mean, because even even like on social media, someone says, oh, thank God it's Friday. Why are you thanking God it's Friday? Is it because your entire week was crap and you hated it? Then you're in the wrong path. Oh, happy hump Wednesdays or, oh my God, it's Monday's coming up. Well, you know what? If, if, you're, if you're worried about Monday, then maybe you're in the wrong line of work, the wrong career path. So stop doing that or at least try to find something to get out of doing that and start putting your path on something that makes more sense and makes you deliriously happy the rest of your life. Yeah, amen to that. But how do we get into that? In fact, can we just shift gears and talk about that? Because that's one of the sure. most common questions people ask me is, how do I decide what to do with myself or wh- how do I figure out what I want to do with my life. And I'm the worst person to answer this question because (laughs) I went to law school because I had nothing better to do, worked on Wall Street because I got a job there, ended up starting the Art of Charm basically by accident because other people said that I should be doing that professionally, then that took off. So I have stumbled drunkenly into the business that I'm in. So I'm far from the ideal source to talk about how people can figure out what they want out of life. Well, hell, I was an engineer when I first started out.
Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to kajabi dot com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, because they're all gonna give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash charm. Just go to indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now, back to Bobby Umar. Where do we even start? I, for example, this, this one girl, Kate, she wrote in and just recently and said, look, I don't like my job. I feel creatively stifled. It's really robotic. I feel like I spend 40 hours a week pretending to be somebody else, 20 hours a week worried that I'm going to be stuck pretending to be somebody else forever and the rest of my time being myself and living my life for real. And 
that's really sad to me. And then she's like, but I'm in this job because I've got, I can't remember the type of visa, some kind of work visa. So if I quit, I have to go back to another country. And she's from like, you know, a Baltic state where she's like, it's just, I might as well be dead moving back there. There's no opportunity. Logistics aside, she doesn't know how to figure out what she wants out of life. And so I think, well, okay, I'm the worst person to ask, but since you're here, why don't you help answer Kate's question? Okay, so I think the first thing you have to do is have a, a strong, honest assessment of exactly your situation. Like you mentioned before that, you know, she's from a different country and she can't go back. And so she has a job because she's trying to work on her visa. So that to me is a very unique scenario that needs to be taken in consideration. Yeah. So it's kind of like doing a SWOT analysis of yourself. What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? Where am I? What's my snapshot? So that's the first thing. The second thing I would do is actually start talking to people in your close network about you know, this actual feeling, because as soon as you share the feeling that you're feeling lost, or I'm not sure what to do, people will start giving information. Now, what you do with that information is really you try to consolidate into, you know, actual data, you know, one of the biggest problems people have with information is that they don't know how to turn into knowledge. What you do with information is you connect the dots, find trends, find themes, find things that string together, and you find and you create knowledge from that. Now, the other thing I would probably do is while you're working, because not everyone can just quit their job just like that. I mean, it's, it's unreasonable to say that. Some people can, but not everybody can do that. So what I would say is that you should always, always, always be doing something to understand yourself, your personal brand, your values, your skills, your traits, your interests, and all that kind of stuff. And I always like to take people on a personal brand process, which is really about diving into themselves and really looking at those things like values, skills, interests, and personality traits. Because when you do that, you'll actually find some really interesting insights. I mean, I was working with another guy, and you know, we found out that through computer assessment and through his feedback from his friends and from his own personal assessment, he found out that they all said the same thing. They all said, all of them said, you know what, you need to be in something where you are working with the X type of person or A type of structure. And when he reads that, it's very empowering to him because he's like, yeah, you know what, they're all saying this. I believe that. The same thing happened to me in terms of what I was doing because I was also in a job where I was miserable. And then I did the whole process and, and next thing you know, it said, hey, Bob, you need to be working with people. Everything said people, working with people, nurturing people. And I was like, yeah, why am I sitting in front of a computer designing airplanes? It's crazy. And when I read that, I, all of a sudden I had this wave of emotion, like, you know what, yeah, this, it made me more purposeful, it made me more focused, it made me more want to just get going in that, on that path. So I think that if she takes the time to really reflect and dive into that, and, and I know it's hard to do it by yourself, getting someone to help you is really good, like a coach or a mentor or an advisor, uh, but that deep dive to understand yourself and then aligning that to a path or a purpose that makes sense it takes time. Like it takes like, you know, 20, 30, 50, maybe even a hundred hours of time. But isn't that hundred hours of time an investment worth 50,000 hours, uh, 50,000 hours or minutes of happiness? So in my mind, why would you do that? I think to me, that hundred hours of time is going to lead to time where you're going to be really happy and purposeful. So basically, and correct me where I'm wrong, maybe I missed the bigger picture here. Sure. Try a bunch of different things and sort of extrapolate what you might actually be interested in and then try to pursue those. And the way that you would obviously do that is make it a hobby or a side gig, probably first a hobby, then a side gig that makes a little bit of money and then try to transition into that. It's a process, not a sudden uproot, quit everything you don't like, roam the earth like Kane from Kung Fu. 
Well, it can be. It can be an uproot, right? I mean, you could actually do that if you wanted to. I mean, a lot of people I know will quit their jobs. Like one of the directors I talked to is a director of marketing and sales for Smucker's Jams. And he quit his job right away and then spent the next six months trying to figure out what he wanted to do. So he could do that. Not everybody can do that. But I wouldn't say it's necessarily dabble in different things. I think it's actually do a deep dive into yourself and understand exactly what your values, skills, interests, and personality traits are. That's the four. And you not only do it for your own self-assessment, you also get the assessment of other people, and you can also get an online assessment. And then you basically look at all those different things, hopefully with the guidance of a coach, to then really hone in on what are the areas that are opportunities for you to explore that align with you and your values, that are authentic to who you are, and of course, which ones are potentially ones where you can actually build a living and make money out of it. You know, what the world needs and also what the world will pay for. Perfect. In your mind, a lost leader is essentially somebody who's got the potential to do something and just isn't because they're either stuck in some sort of pattern, job, or circumstance? It's not just that, but sometimes they don't realize that they're stuck. They don't realize that they're feeling lost. They, they don't realize they're unhappy. They just kind of go through the motions. And that's why often what happens is people find out 10 years later, oh my gosh, I was miserable. Why the hell was I doing that? Uh, but yeah, I think the idea of lost leadership is the idea that there are certain aspects of our lives where we feel lost in and we don't realize it or we do realize it. But the moment we do realize it, we should realize, man, we need to do something about it as opposed to saying, oh, well, that's the way it is. Right. That's a good point. Right. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people just say, well, this is the way of the world. It's like that yeah. moment in The Hangover where Ed Helms is engaged to this awful woman and he's like, look, it's time for me to get married. That's how this works. I've got to settle down. And everybody's settling, whether it's in their relationship or their job, because that's how this works in air quotes. Totally. I think that people do that all the time. They are always settling for whatever reason. Now I need stability. I need security. I need to support my family. I need to listen to my parents, whatever it is. But for the most part, they're often following a path of success defined by other people, whether it's their parents or whether it's society or whether it's movies or corporations, as opposed to define what their own path of success means to them and really forging a path that is really aligned to what they want to do. How do we shake ourselves out of that? That slumber. I mean, if I don't realize I'm unhappy, but I am, one, what does that even mean? How could I be unhappy and not realize it? And two, how do I shake myself out of that slumber? Or, or is it just you wake up one day and go, hang on a second, I'm freaking miserable. This is awful. How did this happen? It's time for change. And then the real misery starts after you realize that and you don't have a plan to get out of it or... Yeah, I guess I'm not following here because it seems like if you're unhappy, wouldn't you just know that already? No, I think most of us suppress the unhappiness with gratitude for something else. So you know what? I'm so grateful that I have a job and I'm stable, but they don't think about how miserable the job is, how it doesn't align with who they are, or they're really tired and stressed all the time. A lot of us, you know, will go to bed tired and fatigued and will slump into bed and then get up and do the, do the thing the next day. But we don't realize that we're actually miserable because... Typically, what we'll do is we'll we'll block it with other stuff we do in our lives. So, you know, you could people become parents of children. I have two kids, right? People become parents because their relationship sucks, but they become parents because like, oh, maybe that'll solve our problems. I'll be have so much happiness and joy with my children. And children do bring joy and happiness, but meanwhile, their relationship with their partner is miserable. And so that's a problem. Similar to other people that do is they like to work out. They're, you know, I'm just gonna I'm gonna pump up and work out, and I'll be do, do physical fitness. I'll join a triathlon. I'll be an amazing athlete, and then I'll win the race. But then when they go back home, they're miserable. They don't realize it because they're so busy working out. 
I mean, there's this whole thing called the wheel of life, you know, in coaching, which talks about, you know, you want to balance your physical fitness, your spirituality, your career, your love life, all that kind of stuff. And typically what we do is if we're unhappy in one or two of those areas, we augment the other three, other three or four areas. So to basically disguise it, so you don't notice it. I'm really happy uh, being a dad. I'm really happy being a winning athlete. But what about the rest of your life? How about vulnerability in terms of the way that it operates with changing your mindset? And we talked a little bit about that pre-show. I'd love to hear your take on that. We talk about that a lot here at AOC, usually within the context of relationships. Yeah, I think for the most part, vulnerability is, yeah, it's kind of the new buzzword, I guess, authenticity and vulnerability. But for the most part, uh, this is one of the reasons you talked about. We talked about before how people don't notice they're unhappy is because a lot of people are, are very afraid to be vulnerable to showcase vulnerability. A lot of leaders out there, particularly corporate CEOs, don't want to show vulnerability because they feel like it makes them look bad. They look like a failure, or people are going to look down upon them. When really, it's a very empowering way to connect with your tribe and inspire people. So. In my mind, uh, vulnerability is a huge part of leadership, but vulnerability is also a huge part of understanding that we're not perfect and we all do have issues and emotions and things that we struggle with. And if we can actually be willing to embrace that vulnerability, then we will truly see what areas of our lives we feel lost, what areas of our life are unhappy, and what opportunities there are for us to forge a more authentic and happy life. So how do we implement that in a very practical way? You know, what does this process look like? Do we just say, okay, today I'm going to be vulnerable, and then we sit down and write something? I mean, what does the vulnerability look like in action? Hmm, that's a good question. I find out more about my vulnerability because I think about what are the things that I want to tell people that I'm not telling them? You know, the things in my life that I don't want to tell them about my physical fitness or, you know, my business and things like that, you know, because business isn't always perfect and my health isn't always perfect and my relationships with my wife and my friends and my family aren't always perfect, yet we don't talk about those things. And so a big part of this really to understand that is to reflect inward about what it is we're doing that we normally would say or not say. Social media is actually a, a great tool for that because we often share stuff on social media, but we only share the, the happy stuff. And so as you're sharing all the happy stuff, what stuff don't you share? If you even look at your week, I mean, there's always stuff that Went, went great, but there's also stuff that didn't go great. And no one wants to share that kind of stuff. So, you know, some people what they do is they, they journal, which is fine, they keep it to themselves. Other people what they do is they repress it. But for the most part, if you really want to start, I guess, making, moving forward on trying to have vulnerability as part of your life, I think you should start with kind of a daily practice to reflect on what aspect of your day didn't go as, as well as you thought and who have you communicated that to. And then maybe you can start slowly sharing some of that little by little with people and you'll start to see what an impact it has because people actually are, are willing to support you. And you know, it takes a lot of courage. It really does. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of courage. And I know that the first time I shared on Facebook my health problems, you know, I was a little bit nervous about it. But uh, in the end, the long run, it helped me tremendously because I, I got a whole bunch of people rallying to my cause to support me and help me out. And if people could just have that courage, just, just an insane amount of courage, just 30 seconds, it's amazing what it can do for you. But you're right, the hardest thing is being able to just, just start that first time. Now, it's going to start, I think, for the most part, by that effort to reflect on your day and reflect on your week and reflect on what are you doing that you're sharing with the world, that what you're currently sharing, but then what are you not sharing? Focus on thinking about what is it that you don't share and why is it you're not sharing that? Because now you start to get into a reflective process of your fears and your doubts and you know, those dark parts of you. I like that, actually. 
Lennon and McCartney, Jagger and Richards, Watson and Crick, AJ and Johnny. What about the perfect duo when it comes to growing your business? Well, that's you and Shopify. That's right, Johnny. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling your own fire merch or promoting your productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort Thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, as well as millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. And AJ, you don't have to just sell your stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from the brands that you love, giving your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no-excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash charm. Go to shopify.com slash charm now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash charm. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Well, how do you, well, how do you be vulnerable? I'm just curious. How, do I, how am I vulnerable? Yeah, yeah, what do you do? Well, you know, this show's kind of a big part of it because I'll come on here and be like, you know... Sometimes outside the context of the show, because it's really easy for me to go, hey, what do you guys think of Fan Mail Friday? And everyone's like, I love this. And some people are like, ah, it should be a separate thing, right? And we get kind of a definitive answer there. But that's within the context of the show. And it's kind of like asking for criticism on a piece you've written. You can kind of distance yourself from it like, oh, I'm just improving my craft. And But other times I might say something like, I think about this this way. What am I missing? And I'll get some really insightful emails. I'm trying to think of even just one really big thing. We had a controversial guest on a while ago named Jack Donovan, and a lot of our our male listeners wrote in, they were like, this is great, and a lot of our male listeners wrote in, and they were just totally indignant, and then a lot of female listeners wrote in, and most of them were really supportive, and there were maybe one or two that were angry, but most of them were like, look, we really like what you're doing here, but since you're asking for feedback on this, here's why I thought this was a bunch of crap, and they wrote really insightful things that were really caring, and it's it's funny to see the differences in the way that men and women write email, even, right. that's, a, that's a side note, but a lot of the guys were like, you're such an ignorant piece of crap, you know, and they really went off and flew off the handle and like, you know, kind of doing their white knight thing that they probably do in all their relationships where they want people to like them. So they take a stand. But a yeah. lot of the women were like, look, I understand you're trying to 
show diverse opinions. Here's why this particular thing was hurtful, or here's why this thing is not as good for you and the audience as you think. And that's not something that you normally get. And I can even bring up something like, I did an episode based on, should I move in with my girlfriend? And I had a therapist friend of mine who works with The Art of Charm as the guest on that episode, but I was literally laying on the couch with a microphone while she asked me a bunch of questions and talked about it. It was really cool. So I basically had almost like a mini therapy session live on this show, and I got a lot of feedback with people saying, wow, I think about those exact things. That's amazing that you were able to throw that out there. And what that does is causes other people to be vulnerable with themselves, with their friends, and even with me, which then keeps me open, right? I'm getting a handful of, wow, way to air your dirty laundry, but I'm getting like 99.9%. Oh my gosh, speaking of that, here's a really dirty family secret. What should I do about that? So when I surround myself with other people that are in that mode by leading by example, it kind of helps me stay that way, if that makes sense. Yeah, you're creating a tribe of vulnerability where people are making you accountable to the same vulnerability you started off with. And again, all it takes in a relationship is for one person to just start, and next thing you know, you're both able to do it. And I think that's the hard part. It's that, that starting piece. But once you start, it's actually an amazing, amazing tool. Yeah, it's kind of cool to stay there. There's kind of a line, though. It's It's very contextual, right? You don't want to be vulnerable all the time because then you kind of become, get your hate mail pens out. You kind of become one of those, like, hippie dudes or chicks who's always like, tell me about your day authentically. And you're like, I want to punch you in the, in the forehead, you know, I, cause it's fake authenticity almost because no one's open all the time because it's not always quote unquote safe to do that. Well, the truth is that authenticity and vulnerability means that you, uh, you're being real to how you feel. So if you really don't feel like sharing something, you don't. Right. Exactly. Yeah. If you don't feel like sharing something, you don't, you can't tell someone, Hey, feel like sharing. Ready, go. It doesn't work. You can't do that. It doesn't work. Speaking of those types of relationships, though, if you don't have a big show in iTunes or the web, how do we curate deep, authentic connections with people and sort of resolve those emotions that might get in the way when it comes to our personal relationships? Do you have any insight on that? Uh, well, I think for the most part, I think I always encourage every single person I meet to either blog or journal. And you know, sometimes I'll say, just do a private blog post on WordPress and just keep it to yourself. But you may want to consider once in a while sharing with somebody via email or maybe a quick share on, on social media because just capturing that emotion and capturing the process of just writing things out is a great way to reflect, but also you know process the emotions that are going in your head. The second thing I would say that's important is that it's always important to have somebody who's going to be a sounding board for you, whether it's a national coach or a counselor or a therapist or a best friend, a mentor, an advisor that's, that someone can listen to what you have to say without judgment, with complete support, and is willing to help you process that information. I find that most helpful. And even for myself, when I saw counseling years ago, even now when I see a psychotherapist, I love it. It's great because it just, it really allows me to share anything that's on my mind. And at the same time, it allows me to just get out there and process it rather than hold it in. You have done this in back in 2013, you released a post called WTF is Wrong With Me. Can you tell us about that? Because that must have been tough, and it's very apropos of this subject. Yeah, and you know, when you think about vulnerability and authenticity again, like what is the stuff you think about when you're lying in bed at night, when you're in the shower, and when you're sitting on the toilet? These are like three, or when you're driving. Those are four big ones right there, okay? What do you think about? What's on your head? What keeps you up at night? What do you think about in the shower? And I'll tell you, for six months, I had in my head that, you know what, I'm, I'm diabetic, 
my health struggle, my food was getting out of control. And what I essentially did after six months, I had this thing in my head I wanted to post. And I finally decided, you know, let me just write this out. And I wrote it out and it's called What the F Was Wrong With Me? And I basically admitted to being a binge eater, a food addict. I admitted lying to my wife and kids. I talked about my, being on four meds and my weight and my all my vitals going out of control, like my A1C blood sugar and my triglycerides and my cholesterol. I even talked about the fact that I would often eat a dinner at four o'clock before my wife and kids came home, and then I'd eat again with them at 6.30. Or I'd eat dinner with them and then at nine o'clock sneak out and get a full other meal. So, and then I wrote this whole thing about, you know, I felt helpless. I, I said, I need some help. I wish, I, I don't know where to do. I feel lost. And I just, gee, do I put this out there? And I was, I was about to post it on Facebook and I was like, what do I do? And do I post just for my friends or a private post? And I decided, public, click, send. And I sent that thing out. You must have had every orifice in your body just clenched up at that point. Like, here we go. Oh, yeah. You know, and then, and then I went to pick up my daughter and just promptly forgot about it. And then six hours later, I came back and like hundreds of comments and likes and people were reaching out. Like, oh, oh, my God. I couldn't believe it. I had and, you know, what's interesting, my family, none of them called me for four days because they just couldn't believe I would be so open about everything like that. Because I never told anybody about my binge eating or my lying and things like that. The med stuff I may have told some people, but yeah, that was, it was crazy. And what was amazing about it, that inspired a lot of people. We started this group called Fit in My Life on Facebook, where, you know, you want to get fit in your life, but you're also struggling to make everything fit in your life. So we called it Fit in My Life, hashtag. I, I got a nutritionist, I got a trainer from that, I got opportunities. So that vulnerability piece, it took courage, but it also inspired courage in other people. It also allowed me to have some accountability because now people ask me every once in a while, hey, how's it going, Bobby? Well, how's, uh, how's your health journey? And also, I feel more accountable about sharing it, not all the time, but every once in a while. And, you know, I still struggle with it because sometimes I share and I'm like, hmm, maybe I'm sharing too much. or Maybe I'm annoying people with my, my weight problems. But I still do it anyways because I know it's going to be helpful to me and also it makes me accountable. Did you get negative feedback about it? Like, hey, man, how, you shouldn't share this kind of crap. What's wrong with you? Or was it all supportive? Well, I think for the most part, the people that didn't understand it would be people that were like my mom, you know, because she thought it was extremely, uh, extremely too much to share. Like, why would you share your problems with the with the public, with the world? She would say that you should only talk to, you know, me and your, your brothers and sisters and things like that. So some of my family members, you know, they took a few days before they called me. The first person to call me actually four days later was my cousin, my second cousin. He's like, oh, my God, that was amazing. I can't believe you did that. I'm like, OK, where were you before? He's like, honestly, I don't know what I don't know what to say. Like, I think no one knows what to do, how to process this. So <laughs> I'm the first one. Great. But most people didn't know what to think of it. And so no one really talked to me about it for at least a week. And then I finally started talking about it with my brother, who's also overweight, and my my sister also struggles, and 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 now I think it's uh, they're starting to get comfortable with it. But I think I still get calls from my mom saying, "Are you sure you want to talk about those things, honey?" Yeah, exactly. I, you know, and I think parents, to a certain extent, and maybe I'll experience this when I have kids. It's sort of a trap. I saw this with my grandparents. They feel like if their kid does something, it's a reflection on them. Absolutely. Because maybe it kind of is, but they're like, uh-oh. No, it is. It is because parents, what they do, and I, and I talk, I, this is going to be my fifth TEDx talk, I'm telling you. It's about what I call it, the parent values gap, which becomes the parent values trap. And what happens is parents raise you with their values. And then as soon as you go to elementary school and kindergarten and high school and university and whatever, you start to develop your own values. And when you start to express those values, your parents see that as a rejection of their values. Meanwhile, you start to then feel bad and feel guilty. So you start to express their values, which are not yours. And the next thing you know, you feel miserable. Right. And so that happens for a lot of people. You kind of have a hardcore example of value rejection in that you married a white woman and you're in, spoiler alert, you're brown. 
<laughs> and and, and yeah. FYI, for those of you like getting out your phone to email me, you wrote I'm brown, she's white in the prep for the show. So don't yeah, get did. after me for like, <laughs> I don't want people being like, how dare you call someone brown? You're calling Bobby Brown? What? <laughs> you said it, not me. So just so I never, nobody get your PC <laughs> muscles back, you know, reset your PC alarm. You know what you can get around that, Jordan, is instead of saying that, I say, you know, you're brown, you married a white girl, and now you have beautiful beige kids. Because when you say beige kids, people laugh. Yes. Yeah, right. Yes. You have beige kids. Now everyone's laughing. The tension has been diffused. Exactly. Perfect. All right. So, yeah, I mean, how did that go over with, with mom and dad? That was hard. That was really hard. I mean, I'm presenting them a position that goes against everything that they raised me to believe and their values. And so they see it as rejection when I'm seeing it as a means to make myself the most happiest. And while doing so, trying to be as respectful of their beliefs and values as I possibly can. But at the same time, it was hard. And hell, I needed counseling for that one just to get through it. Because one of the things that I learned from my counselor was, uh, and this is, this is really hard. This is very hard for anybody. You are not responsible for how your parents feel, which was mind-blowing at first because I couldn't process that for months, but I'm not. I'm not responsible. They're responsible. And what I have to do is just continue to be a loving, respectful, great son as I can be. But how they react, I'm not responsible for it. I need to do what's best for me. And that's what I position it as. I tried to ease them into it as, as easy as I possibly could. And I, I had to choose certain battles, but it was definitely a hard process, a hard journey. And there was a moment during that journey where I had one of the probably the hardest days of my life, but you know, I got through it and now we're, you know, things are for the most part pretty good. So I'm glad I got through it. Do they blame her for all your problems? This is what happens when you marry a white chick. Uh, well, and that's what, <laughs> I think it was keeps us together without getting divorced. Because <laughs> right. like, if I screw it up, like, see, I told you, marrying white girls does not work. And, and you're like, I'm not letting my mom be right on this one. Sorry, yeah, exactly. we're staying together forever. Yeah, I think there's a lot of pressure there to you know do that. And they certainly come at us with not just the relationship stuff, but, you know, they certainly ask about the kids thing because, you know, like having someone of a different culture, of a different, you know, way of being brought up will affect the way you live the rest of your life. It affects the way you raise your kids. And so that comes up a lot. Well, interesting illustration of the values gap, which then becomes the values trap. And you're yeah. even seeing that as a grown man in a marriage with kids. It just never goes away. It does not go away. And, you know, meanwhile, my kids are growing up and they're, they're asking questions, right? Because they are asking questions about, well, why is it the way we live go to, when we go to my parents' house different than when we go to her parents' house? It's, it, it, those are totally, they're two different worlds, I'll tell you. I so can imagine. They're learning, to grow up in a, they're, they're learning to grow up in a double life, similar to the way I had. I mean, I, I had a double life growing up, too. The way I was at home and the way I was at school and college. To bring this full circle... Going yeah. back to Kate's question, it sounds like she's stuck in a values gap and a values trap as well, right? Because she's doing what she kind of feels like she has to do because that's how things are done or that's what she needs to do to stay in countries or feel safe or feel comfortable, which is values gap, right? Her values are, I want to do something I love where creativity yep. is valued and the values trap is now she's in a job that she doesn't really like because she feels like she's stuck there. It's literally a trap. Absolutely. Yeah. So the values trap is not just between people. It's also between yourself and your corporation. Like if your company has the, the your career path, if it has values that don't align with you, then you need to get out of there or find a way to resolve it as quickly as possible. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you want to make sure you communicate to the AOC audience? Well, for the most part, 
I'm excited to actually have an announcement. Just just two days ago, my uh, my book, How to Network Anytime, Anywhere with Anyone, uh, hit the number one bestseller on Amazon Kindle. So I'm pretty excited about that, which is kind of cool. And then also I'm launching a big program called Networking Mastery, which is basically turning a loss leaders into thought leaders. So I've created a 12-week program to help people through every single step of the way in terms of becoming a better networker, a better communicator, a better connector. Excellent. Thanks so much, Bobby Umar. We'll have that stuff, those the resources, your work, those TED Talks linked up in the show notes as well. And we appreciate your time. Thanks, Jordan. I appreciate it. You guys are great. I'm doing a good job. Congratulations on all your success. Thank you. Interesting episode, short and sweet. I like the values trap idea. I think that's probably one of the major things that everyone gets caught in. I think we all get caught in the values trap. Some of us get caught in it as a young age and we're looked at like rebels and, you know, we end up being teenagers that act out. Others of us find it later in our adult life when we do something and suddenly we find our family disapproving of it or our bosses or our line of work, even ourselves. And uh, that can be a real problem, especially when we think, well, we've got to stick with it because that's what's supposed to happen. But in the end, you're the one, we're the ones that decide what's supposed to happen. Hope you enjoyed this one with Bobby Umar. Show feedback and guest suggestions. The show's a fanarchy. It's run by you. We do rely on you to help keep our finger on the pulse. So if you know someone who's a good fit for the show, let us know. Guests at theartofcharm.com. And if you enjoyed this, don't forget to thank Bobby on Twitter. He's one of the top tweeters, as he says himself. We'll have that linked in the show notes, as well as the other resources mentioned on the show. You can tap the album art in most mobile podcast players to see the show notes right on your phone. I also post tons of stuff on Twitter that never makes it to the show. Articles, insights, and other stuff at The Art of Charm on Twitter. Bootcamp details, of course, at bootcamp.theartofcharm.com. Remember, we're sold out a few months in advance, so if you're thinking about it a little bit, get in touch now, get some deets, plan ahead. Subscribe and review on iTunes. We'll love you forever. Check out our mobile apps on iPhone and Android. Special thanks to the Jasons for their help in production of The Art of Charm podcast. Go ahead, tell your friends. The greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. Now have a great week and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com. <laughs>